Hello, happy holidays, and welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. We are part of the 24-7 Sports Network, and we are looking back at a decade of West Virginia football. This is our second episode of the all-decade teams that we have put together. We previously produced and released our episode on the offense. If you didn't hear it, it doesn't matter. This is not like a movie franchise where you have to watch one before the other or listen to one before the other. But you should definitely go listen to it because highly entertaining and informative way to look back at a decade of football in West Virginia on offense, which is where you have the most memories and you think the most star power exists until you talk about the defense and you remember how very good it was early in the decade and how many stars came through the Pushkar Center in 10 seasons with the Mountaineers. And here to help me review that is a star who has been coming through the 24-7 hallways for many years now, Chris Anderson. Chris, is all your holiday shopping done? Uh, depends. When are, we li- when are we posting this podcast? It might be done by the time we post it, hopefully, because there are still a few gifts these spoiled children of mine have not gotten uh, that I need to get and are still on my list. I find it interesting that I'll be in Richmond and you'll be fleeing Richmond, which means you can't give me the bullet bourbon that you promised oh man we'll have to talk uh, talk off the air about when you're going to be coming through see if we overlap i'll show you some hot spots around town oh okay good we can do this uh definitely offline because we're going to be spending a lot of time online going through again football but later basketball and then kind of a year in review with what it was like being around the football team all those things will be coming out to help you again over the river and through the woods to grandmothers or your uncles or your moms or your sister's house for the holidays and to help you navigate the roads and the otherwise icy conditions, maybe in your car or in your house during the holidays, we're going to go over the defense at West Virginia and a few parameters here. What we did, we went with three defensive linemen in a two deep. So six, three linebackers, two deep, six. And then, again, a wild card player, because so often at West Virginia's defense of the decade here, you kind of had definitely three defensive linemen, definitely three linebackers. But you had that kind of hang-over-the-edge player who could have been a defensive end or a linebacker or a linebacker or a safety. Um, and there isn't really a spot for him. So we're just going to call that a wild card spot. And then, more traditional, two corners, two safeties, and a two deep. So four corners, four safeties. So in sum, six defensive linemen, six linebackers, two wild cards, four corners, Four safeties. And since I made a mess of the offense episode and got very excited about the receivers and what sequence they went in and how the wild card worked and who was the slot or whatever, uh, by Chris's advice here, um, we're going to go first team first and then second team. I think that makes the most sense. But um, as we began last time, Chris, you look back and you pour over stats and depth charts and participation reports for a decade, and a lot of memories come flooding back to you here. Uh, we remember what's most recent. But we might look back fondly on what happened at the beginning of the decade, especially on defense. What stands out as you look back now? Um, I had similar debates on defensive line as I did with running back on offense about are we going to take a guy who had one amazing year at the start of the decade or, say, into the decade over someone who's maybe kind of been a pretty decent starter for a couple years, three years maybe, and – the f- one thing that it, you talk about, maybe not the recency bias part, but looking back and be like, oh, man, I forgot just how good that guy was. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was somebody, I won't get there yet, um, 
in the defensive backfield. Uh, at the, when you think West Virginia and, and defensive backs, there's obviously a few guys that just spring right to mind. But there's somebody else that I think maybe some people have maybe forgotten um, and shouldn't have because he was really freaking good. Really? And I, I, maybe maybe I forgot him and other people didn't. And not forgot him. He's been around. He's in the NFL. But we'll get there. You know me and special teams. I was surprised by how many punters that West Virginia had in the decade. <laughs> um, like a number of them and guys that I forgot who not only punted, but like was the punter for the entire season. Um, like, do you remember who the punter was in Bill Stewart's last season? No. Greg Pugnetti. Wow. 13 games all as the punter. Punted 67 times. Nobody else. Um, nothing against the Pugnettis. Um, and by the way, he averaged 41.82 yards per punt that year. Pretty good. Um, punted five times a game, though, so he was a big part of the offense. And I completely forgot that he was even a part of the team. And I'm looking at it, like, that's one of the better punting seasons they've had. And their net punting was good and they were good. But, like, I was surprised that, again, going back, how many players are involved in just so many aspects here. And, again, to get your point, I have one of those players that you talked about from the defensive backfield on the defensive line. And one thing that I struggle with here was comparing defensive lines because in the beginning part of the decade, there are some gaudy statistics in the middle, not so much, but very solid NFL players. And then at the back end of the decade here, again, we're starting to see some prolific numbers from defensive linemen, really hard to rank and file those when you have three different areas of emphasis. And then I kind of forgot how many good linebackers they had through the years too. Yeah, I had some tough choices at linebacker, particularly with the uh, second team. I felt uh, I felt two very obvious first-teamers, uh, kind of a little bit of debate about the third. Uh, and then, like you said, a lot of really good players that I had on my kind of list that I had to pare down. By the way, uh, do you know who was the main punter in 2012? It's not Greg Pugnetti. Tyler um, Bickert. Oh, no way. 28 punts that year. I just, I just going through these things and trying to figure it out. And again, we're, <laughs> I do special teams way too much, but I was looking at it because I seem to remember, and we discussed this last episode about how bad punt return was. And I seem to remember punting was really bad for a long time and they couldn't get it right. Um, and then I forgot that actually Bittenkurt was their punter for a while, which does not happen very often. Your kicker is also your punter. That was the year he kind of struggled a little bit too, I believe, kicking, and maybe that's one reason why. But we're not here to talk about, well, I'm here to talk about punters, but we're not here to do that. So let's get into this. Let's go over our defense here. And I'd like to begin on the defensive line because I think this is the most worthwhile conversation to have because probably the top talent is on the defensive line. I think some of the best debates about your top six, maybe even your top three are on the defensive line. And the dynamics that I discussed about then versus now versus in between about how you rank or evaluate defensive linemen really makes us a, a, a fun, perhaps even controversial conversation here. But um, did you have the same type of, you know, seesaw that I had and trying to figure out where to rank guys and how much the system affected what they um, how they checked in on our eyes I think my uh, the system was a, a factor for me I it because it, it boosted a couple guys that maybe don't have like you said don't have the stats to kind of compete with those guys that were there from 2010 to 2012 right but the other thing that was a factor for me was trying to find that true nose guard. Do I want to do that? Or do I just want to pick the, the best three D 
defensive lineman. Um, how's it all going to work out? I, and then again, uh, not to step on any toes here, but then I had the debate of one season versus three or four, like Chris Neal, obviously amazing, but only had 2010 in this decade. Uh, Darius Stills has been amazing, but only has 2019. Do I count those guys? Are they in there? Uh, they were in my debate, but uh, not for first team, but for, for second team. Um, did you even consider either of those two? I not only considered Neald, I considered Scooter Berry for the yeah. same reason, who, again, doesn't have great statistics, but he handled everything in that middle and just did a good job. And I believe he was on that 2010 team. Um, and again, the same thing with, you know, perhaps even both stills. I mean, what do you do when you have guys who put up numbers that rank up in their, you know, anywhere in the decade for defensive linemen? Like seven sacks for a defensive end is a big number in this decade, uh, certainly in the latter two-thirds of the decade that someone did, and it has to count, but does it count because it only happened in one year? And then, you know, but then seven sacks for Dante Stills, it's 10 sacks in two years, which very few guys have done, never mind in one year, but very few guys have done 10 in two years. Um, so you kind of have to give that some weight. But I think this is going to be interesting here because I think we're going to disagree perhaps even on our top three, but definitely in our second three. And maybe disagree isn't the right word. Perhaps differ is. But um, we can flip a coin here, or you can go first or I can go first. But um, I don't think there's much debate on the top two. So let's just do that. We probably both have Bruce Irvin and Julian Miller. Correct and correct. Okay. Yes, yes. A little bit of questioning about Irvin. But to me, even though he's played outside linebacker, um, in, in, in the NFL and done pretty well, been destructive at times. He was almost always a hand on the ground guy in college. Perhaps he picked his hands up, but he was playing defensive end. So definitely a defensive end. And then again, Julian Miller was a bad man. I mean, when he got hot, he got hot and he could take people down and he could control gaps. A big, strong guy. Really what they wanted to do back then was a prototype body, but he could really make plays too. Two very good players there. 48 and a half tackles for loss in Julian Miller's career. And that, And basically that's three years because that first year he was just not really involved in the rotation. Mm -hmm. And even in limited snaps, he had three and a half tackles for loss. And, and, you know, that was 2008. Yeah. A couple of those years were pre this decade, but just 2010 and 2011, 31 and a half, 31 tackles for loss and 17 sacks. Was good. I mean, in a a high volume of his tackles were tackles for loss too. I mean, he had, I'm looking at his 2010 season. 28 solo tackles, 14 tackles for a loss. If you're doing a lot on your own and you're making plays that are behind the line of scrimmage, um, that's really good work. But again, 6'4", 260, just the right size, a really gifted player, came from a, a good area for high school. And another guy who is on the staff now and is doing work with defensive linemen. And you can't tell me that that's a coincidence that a guy who had the physical gifts and had a motor and was smart and knew how to use leverage but also power um, – and probably wanted to play aggressive and just couldn't because the way they wanted to do things. I, I think that he's probably one reason that those guys are probably really good up front now. Um, third, this is probably going to change a little bit. Who is your third defensive lineman? Debated for quite some time. Yeah. And went with, for whole body of work, Will Clark. Okay. No? Not even a, not even a, uh, I Nothing? can make a noise. Oh, it's good. It's, it's a good pick. Sp- it's okay. a good pick. I went with Noble Wachuku. That was yeah. that was my number four. That because I, I he was the guy that I was like, holy crap, he was a lot better. I mean, yeah. I remember him being decent, but 
man. I will, I will, I will tell you this. Uh, I went back and forth on those two for my third, and the same thing. The reason that I went with Noble over Will was that Noble was good for a longer period of time than Will was, and Will was a guy who made it to the NFL because. And I talked to one person in the NFL about this when he got drafted. Was why didn't he do more, or do better? Is it a motor thing? Is it a hard work thing? And everybody said no. Greatest guy you'll meet. Huge work ethic. You know, his dad was an excellent athlete too. So. It wasn't genes, and it wasn't work ethic or determination. It was just that the offense or the defense is kind of handcuffed. And by the way, where are you getting snaps between Miller and Irvin in front of you, right? So right. his early part of his career just didn't have the opportunities, whereas Noble was out there more and was doing things and just was consistently a better player. Um, to be frank, if, it flipped, if I just did a coin flip and heads was um, Noble and tails was Will and it came up tails and that's how I did it, I would have been okay with that. But – into the minutiae, I just thought that Noble was a better decade contribution. Yeah, I can't, like, I debated that for a long time. I When I made my list, like I keep talking about just writing guys down, I felt like originally Clark was just one of my first three uh, that I wrote down. Not first three that I wrote down, but kind of had him on my first team uh, for my first draft. And then started doing more research on it, thinking back to what uh, Noble had done. And was like, man, I, I might have to change this. And I kind of, like I said, I don't have a problem with either of them, just like you. Clark had gonna have to, we'll, career. We're going to have to fight at some point, Mike. We have to disagree. Okay. Clark had 10 sacks <laughs> in his career, which kind of surprised me. Um, I thought he would have had more and, and just didn't, which is, again, isn't necessarily his fault. Again, his first two years, he was kind of behind guys. I think his first three years, he only had four sacks, and he had six as a senior. Um, Noble had almost 10 in the season, I believe, once. I think he had, what, eight and a half was the high one year. I just did a whole thing on defensive line, and I was surprised that he had as good a junior as he did, but he had more sacks than Will and just had, I thought, a longer impact. And again, for a while, he played about every down, too. He was just a rock out there. Uh, second line, defensive line, this is where things get tricky. Um, how did you fill out your second line? Well, here, I, we've already agreed that it's either Clark or Noble for okay. number four. I had um, Kyle Rose in there. Is that crazy? That is the one guy I was talking about that was the parallel for your wow guy on defense where I forgot how good he was. Like He was a okay. solid player who did exactly what they wanted and who could, who could really do things individually that were maybe separate. And he played that nose position too, which maybe wasn't what he should have been doing, but he was good at it. Because that's what I was thinking. Like he was not on my list of players that I immediately wrote down. Went back, checked participation charts, checked stats, and really got to thinking about. Yeah, he was a multi-year starter who maybe played a little bit out of position and, and was really solid the whole time he was here. Um, and I think sometimes just being solid gets forgotten, but when you can do it for two or three years in a row, it, it needs to be recognized. Sneaky good athlete too. Could, could do some different things and probably could have played different sports and been good at it. He, I mean, he could play the edge. Um, he was a nose. And I see it. He was a tight end, I believe, in high school uh, who ran around and made plays and was just a good player, like just a very good athlete who grew into that spot. And for a while, that was kind of what they wanted to do. They wanted guys who could come in and play the end but could also grow and be a tackler and nose in the future. And then he did that. I mean, he started outside, moved inside, and it was just, just very effective for a long time. Um, here's where it gets crazy, though. Um let me give you a handful of players who I considered for this last spot, and we can kind of see if we're, we're in the same boat and how we sorted it out. I'm not going to tell you who my pick was here, but it really came down to four guys. Um, to be frank with you, Darius and Dante were two guys that I've considered, but also Darian Howard and Christian Brown. Um, 
four people that I consider for that last spot. It gets a little bit thinner here for different reasons. But, again, Darian Howard's season, his senior year as a nose, was the best in the decade until Darius came along. That kind of has to count. Um, Christian Brown was a guy who played in five seasons but was a four-year guy who didn't do a lot as a freshman but got that year back when he was injured two years later, I believe, towards Achilles in a, a box jump accident, if I remember correctly. And then was a good contributor for a while, playing nose and playing uh, tackle and end. I mean, he could bounce around a little bit. Um, and then obviously Darius and Dante we're, we're familiar with because of recently, but not a, not a bad group to pick from there, right? No. And uh, here's what I had. I had at that, that defensive line spot for the last one. I had Christian Brown, question mark. Chris Neald, question mark. Darius Stills, Darian Howard. Uh, I did not have Dante. Um, but I did have those four. I also had four trying to debate those last spots. And I settled on um, Neald for the one year. I, I kind of, I, I, I just could not figure out what I wanted with the three or four year guys or a one year guy. And also kind of wanted to get that true nose guard in there, which again, a lot of these guards are, but I think, People forget how Chris Neald was, like, as that nose guard, he was the center of that defense, especially that last year. And he kind of held down and everything revolved around him there in the middle. He was great. Um, and that's what you want to do. That's that's fine. Uh, again, that's a good player, and it gets picky there. And if you're if you're rating things out, like who had good seasons, like we're talking about one guy's season as nose was the best, it counts. It really does count. I get that. Um, so if you want to do that, that's fine. You know what I want? I want all the pepperoni rolls and I want all the Muriels. <laughs> I put Darius Stills in there. Um, individually, as impressive a season, I think, on a defensive lineman, on a defensive line here at West Virginia since the Bruce Irvin year. Um, statistics not as, as impressive or as like brow arching, where you look at him and you go, oh my God, he had 14 sacks that year? Jeez, this guy had seven, right? I get that, but the position's totally different. Getting double team all the time. The respect he got from players. First team all Big 12. Um, just a really big season. And for me, the the accolades, the the highlights, the consistency of performance, the fact that he played so much, um, I put him in there. That was my sixth guy. And again, if he was my fourth guy or my sixth guy, you could talk me to either one of those, but I thought he was deserving of a second spot there, or second line spot there. Yeah, can't argue with you. I <laughs> But again, you think about this too, and we had this conversation on offensive line too. You gotta guess and project a little bit. And guys like Rose or Howard, remember Howard was supposed to be like a fullback middle linebacker, and he showed up at like almost 300 pounds and like surprised everybody with that and became a really good defensive lineman. Christian Brown was kind of a, a tweener guy. What position does he play? Well, heck, he played all three. And for their defensive line to be good, they had to have guys who could do certain things, and they found a lot of them. Um, linebacker, um, another one where I forgot they had maybe not guys who had great three- and four-year careers, but guys who had great individual seasons and who could stack up maybe two of those, odd cases three, to really have a nice career. But linebacker play, particularly in those three, three, five years when Tony Gibson was getting it back, very solid of the decade. Yeah, I think for me there was a couple no-doubters, absolutely not even in question, David Long and mm -hmm. Nick Kwiatkowski. Correct. Are you in agreement there? Yeah. I'm with you uh, there. Did you, did, let's, let's did you think there was a third? Uh, I had, I thought that there were two who could buy for number three, which made me think I didn't have a clear third. Okay. 
But so let's who do, was that? Who's your third? We have Long, and let me ask you this. I just mentioned that Stills, that his defensive line season was as individually impressive as any of the decades since Irvin. Is David Long's 2018 not only the best individual defensive performance, was it the best WVU performance in a season? Wow. It's a conversation, wow. right? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be up there. Uh, 19, there are 20 tackles for loss, 19 tackles for loss, seven sacks as a linebacker. Right. Force fumbles, sure. made big stops, um, defensive player of the year. I mean, you're, you're talking like you're putting him in conversations with Stedman and Tavon and Geno and Will at that point, which, and again, Bruce Irvin too, you know, I'll give you that. Um, rare air there. So, again, special player um, and would have been so fun to watch on this defense this year. Like, I think that he would have been, I don't know where you play him, but Will would be the most obvious. But, like, why couldn't that guy play Bandit, you know? Um, why couldn't he have been a Mike in this defense. I don't know. Like, I mean, he would have been a lot of fun to watch in this defense. So what if that we'll never get to know? Because certainly it looks like he's done the right thing and is getting on the field and staying there a little bit more in Tennessee now too. Um, our options for four, excuse for me, our four options for three. I have four options there, but I came down to basically two and I went with Al Rashid Benton. Okay. Over, over Najee Good. I that, have was good. Hard, that was hard for me. Um, but Benton was a Mike who played a lot and made good plays and made tackles. Najee was, I mean, I think a similar player and physically one of the more impressive dudes you'll find um, throughout the entire decade, too, was to rock, was a really athletic kid, um, could make plays and has stuck in the NFL for a reason, too. Uh, Benton never made it quite as far there. But we're not talking about NFL and we're not talking about body types. When we're trying to rank this. I just thought that Benton's. Decade was a little bit better than Najee's, but not much. And, and Najee meant a ton to that team that went to him on the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I think Ben's got obviously all four years in the decade. Uh, Good only had these last two, but it, they both basically only had two years where they were contributors, mm-hmm. two years as a starter. Ben's stats were a lot better, uh, at least as far as total tackles go. But Good was getting into the backfield a lot more. Yep. And I think that was part of the reason he won out for me. And he was obviously see. I, I feel like he had less tackles, but he's also seeing less plays because he was playing in the old Big East days, mm-hmm. and Benton was playing in the high flying Big Twelve, and, and Good had more and better players around him that were going to kind of eat up some of those tackles as well, and uh, so he was close. That was my debate too. Was three four. Um, like I said, I only had two clear cut first teamers, and so I also came down to good and benton for that last spot but i went with good and then benton was on my second team yeah now you senior senior season was so good too and like on a defense you're right didn't see a lot of snaps because of who they played but like they didn't see a lot of snaps because they got off the field they were really good that year and he was the reason why and that was that was a probably the best defense of the decade too um their senior year um there was a couple that were pretty good i think but when you look at the total package that was a that was a really good defense that even in the bowl game did pretty well but the more I think about it now, man, I wonder if I made a mistake there. But, oh, well, we'll give it to Benton. Um, the final two, uh, I went Jared Barber and Shaq Petaway. Okay. I had Barber in there, uh, no doubt, as my fifth. And then I was kind of all over the place with six. Uh, I had Petaway. pick here. Yeah, I had Petaway as an option. Um, Doug Rigg as an option, although I, I kind of ruled him out because I didn't feel like there was a – he was like a contributor all four years, but never really the standout, I didn't feel like. 
Um, the one year, his best year was West Virginia's worst defense in school history. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's something you hang your hat on. Um, Petaway, I strongly considered. And then, again, we're getting back to the one-year studs. Um, can you name me? There's four linebackers that have gotten all-conference, first-team all-conference this decade. Uh, good, Long, and Kudkowski. Can you name me the fourth one? I'm thinking of a player who had one of the best seasons, but I don't think he made all-conference, and he wouldn't have because they were in the Big 12. That's a really good question. Who is that? I don't know. So 2010, so JT Thomas, 2010, oh. first okay. team all Big East. Um, well, but again, was, that's the, that was the only year. So I, I don't know if I can really – I know I did it with Neil, but it, it's tough. I had a really hard time with that sixth spot. Yeah, he was excellent that year too. He made a ton of plays in the backfield. Um, but that's a good pick there. I I can't say I gave him a ton of thought. I saw his name on the paper, and I just thought that Najee was a better player that year or those two years, I guess. But, um, boy, that's a good one. I hadn't thought about that one there. You know who I was thinking that had a lot of pub because he was so good so soon, um, and then it really kind of tapered. I'm wondering if you can remember um, how many players, first of all, had a 100-tackle season in the decade and who they were. Well, Long was one. Benton was one. Uh, did Krukowski get there? Long, Benton, and Quit. Correct. Uh-huh. Uh, wait, wasn't there a really uh, – what was that? Isaiah Bruce, didn't he get there one year or something really crazy? No. People forget how good Isaiah Bruce was. <laughs> was it? Did he – wait, is he, did he get to 100? Here's, here's the tricky thing. He got to 90. Because Carl Joseph had 102 tackles that year, which makes uh, me think that maybe the middle linebacker wasn't all he was supposed to be that year. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that was an awful defense. But, like, Isaiah Bruce had 90 tackles as a redshirt freshman. And then, by and large, vanished. Like, I remember thinking, like, honestly, the conversation in my head, when you're thinking about all decade, you're thinking about who had superlative seasons. And I remember thinking that he was a top five individual tackler. And he had 90 and had two interceptions, and I believe he scored a touchdown that year. He just did a little bit of everything and then just absolutely fell off. Went from 90 tackles to fewer than half, 43, um, 43 to 15. And then in 15, 2015, he came back and played like defensive end a little bit. He had 12 tackles. So in his first year, he had 90. And in his final three years, he had 67. Hmm. That's how screwed up the defense was. There's no way you could tell me that, that guy wasn't a good player. It's just that when you change coaches and coordinators so much that you, you get lost in the shuffle sometimes too. Um, but so that was one was guy. Six? That, my six, yeah. So I went Petaway six. So I went. Oh, that's right. You did. I, I, I thought you said I couldn't Petaway. remember. But I honestly like the JT one. You caught me on there. I, I remember thinking about him, but thinking that ah, was just the one year too. But um, that was he was really good that year and probably should have been a guy I consider more because again, when you were getting to that part of it, you're looking at the individual season sometimes. And if it's a guy who was only on here for two years, but made a one impressive line of statistics, one season, you know, what's the difference in a guy who was three years in one decade, one year in the other, I should have given him more. He might, he might get a spot because he was so fast and so good and did so much. And that was a really good defense too. Um, wild cards. So these are the guys who played like those hybrid spots. There are a lot of them because of what they did. Um, defensively and how they had to, whether by necessity or creativity or just ideal situations, guys they put in the spots. Um, 
I used two, and I'm having a hard time figuring out who was one here. But you can make an argument for two guys here, and I'm wondering if you have the same two that I do. Because when I think about Wildcard, which is a guy who played a position that was not a traditional 3-4, 4-3, you know, whatever defensive position. It was a half-end, half-linebacker, half-linebacker, half-safety or whatever. Um, nobody did that more better than Terrence Garvin. And nobody had the stats and the impressive run of play like Kaiser White. Seems to me those are the two best picks for those spots. I had very little debate. And it was those two. I agree about the debate between who was one and who was two, but those were my two picks, and I didn't even think twice about it. I wrote them down right away as soon as you, as soon as you told me this made-up position. Um, those <laughs> those two immediately came to mind, and it wasn't even, you know, I did a check to make sure I didn't forget anybody, but uh, clearly those two. So who's your one? I settled on Garvin for the extended greatness over time um i think white at his peak was better than garvin but garvin kind of had it for longer we agree okay uh garvin i mean and played like truly different positions too like he was almost like a pure defensive back one year who played a little bit of linebacker and then became like a pure linebacker who played a little bit of defensive back and then even in the nfl played linebacker in the xfl or excuse me the afl played linebacker because he just kind of grew into that too. But um, Kaiser was the best fit for Spur that they had in the decade, I think. Um, but also Garvin was the best fit for what they needed and how they had him play. And and he was productive pretty much anywhere he went to. And um, again, Kaiser's highs were higher and brighter, but Garvin just meant a lot to those teams. And they were really good. He was really good. I mean, their best player, I think, at sometimes too. And that was actually going to be my guess when you asked for another first-team all-conference linebacker because he played such a, a linebacker position toward the end, it seemed like, where he was good at that. But, um, yeah, again, and you look at it too, really good linebacker play with a number of guys. Maybe not the depth of players that we talked about on the offensive line or the defensive line. But, again, spots where you got to get creative. And you look at guys like JT or Garvin or – you know, Long even. I mean, where are you going to play those guys? Long, is he going to be a safety in college or is he going to be a linebacker? He was a linebacker because they thought he could run around and run under guys and make plays. He did. Um, Petaway, same thing. A defensive back. Garvin, same thing. A defensive back who became a linebacker. Um, kind of the mold they did, but pretty good job on the hit rate for players who, who really mattered there, too. Uh, cornerback, not as much of a guessing game there. Corners kind of look like corners, and maybe safeties can play like corners, but... Um, Again, uh, not the quantity of quality players, but I think some obvious choices and some some good candidates for other spots. The trouble here was that very few guys played more than one or two years across a decade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, 
or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, I got pretty quick on one, two, uh, three was pretty obvious. And then I'll be honest, I mean, Keith Washington is squarely in my conversation for four um, because there were a lot of guys like him one year, two year, and that was it. So it was tough. Um, except for the first one. Cause I, again, I, I thought about this guy as being great and I remember him being great. And obviously a lot of other people did too, but can you name me the two people for West Virginia who have earned all conference first team, all conference twice this decade? One's on offense, one's on defense. One, one's a cornerback, obviously. Is it Darrell Worley? It is not. It is my other starting cornerback, I, which I hope is also your other start, your starting quarterback. A two-time first-team all-conference player. It can't, be a, it can't be a Big 12 player, right? It cannot. Is it Keith Tandy? It is Keith Tandy. Okay. 2010 and 2011, first-team all-conference cornerback. Yeah, and made it in the NFL, too, as a safety, too. So um, a good player, no doubt about that. Uh, so we we agree on this, on our okay. top two corners. Um, I will say this. Whether 1 to 10 on offensive line or 1 to 6 on defensive line or 1 to 6 on cornerback or, excuse me, linebacker, uh, your top to your bottom. The top and my bottom were the closest here. Any offensive or defensive unit, I thought. Like, I had the hardest time. I didn't think there was much of a separation between one and four here as there was between the first player and the last player and our two deep in any other position. Would you see the light there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, Worley and Tandy, um, and I will tell you this. This is the, this is the truth. Um, there were a lot of people who did not think Worley was a great college cornerback and that he got interceptions because teams were compelled to throw at him and basically said there's no way – this guy is strong enough or fast enough or sound enough to make a play on my guy. And he was. And a lot of people thought that he got interceptions because he got targeted a lot. He still got to make the play, which he did. But people were kind of surprised he went to the NFL. And I can remember talking to him. And I can remember talking to other people around him who said, what's not to like? He's tall. He can run. He's a really good kid. And there was an incident that people maybe thought that reflected poorly on him and his character for something that happened that ultimately I believe he was – Maybe vindicated isn't the right word, but as the facts came out and different sides came out, you kind of thought, well, perhaps he wasn't entirely in the wrong. Perhaps he was standing up for someone. Um, and it doesn't look like a guy who's out banging heads at a bar at 2 in the morning. And maybe there's a little bit more principle involved there. But that was stuff that came up in his evaluation. And, and people thought, why would you go early? But the high was really high for him. He led the Big 12, and I think he was first team all-conference, um, which made me wonder if he was there for two years. I think he started for two years, but... When you look at him, that's kind of what a corner is supposed to look like. And I remember this people thinking, I'm not going to miss him. You know, he's not going to make it. And then he's made it. And they probably did miss him because they were not great the year after he left. Um, and that's a guy who could have been there. But he's really made in the NFL, too. Yeah, he was super talented coming out of high school. I think um, 
you know, the question for him was, where is he going to play coming out of high school? Because he was right. a an excellent, I think he was all-state wide receiver. He was an all-state defensive back. Some people saw him as a safety. Uh, obviously, he got a little bit of time there at safety early in his career before he made the full-time switch to cornerback. And he was a track star. I mean, he had every, he had all the tools that you would think he should be something special. And I think a lot of people are pretty high on him in high school. But, um, yeah, one, yeah, first team all-conference in 2015. And then dipped out, third-round pick. And he's doing well for himself in the NFL. Yeah, and again, again, we forget people like Tandy because of how far away we were. But I'd forgotten about two two first team All Conference players. But like their pass defense was excellent, and they got help from the pass rush. But that guy picked balls off. He knocked balls down. He forced fumbles. He was just a really active player, um, and it kind of reminded me of Norwood a little bit. I think he's a better athlete than Norwood, and probably a better defensive back than Norwood. But he could fit into anywhere and make plays a little bit undersized, but didn't play that way, was a really confident guy. And I think people would tell you one of the smartest players that they came across through the years too. So that's a good start for corners. 3-4, um, not a lot of candidates here for backup no. spots, but I think some good players. Uh, I will just tell you that I went with Rasul Douglas and Terrell Chestnut. Okay. I went with Rasul Douglas, and I picked Keith Washington with a long debate between him and Terrell Chestnut. Okay. Uh, I thought about Washington, of- except that he didn't really come on until late last season, and he missed games this year. And again, if we're getting down into small details like that, those small details kind of become bigger. And Chestnut, his career is abbreviated, too, because of injury, but not a lot of stats, but because people didn't test him. Um, they really stayed away from him a lot, by and large, and, and he was just solid. And again, that's a guy who probably should be coaching somewhere. I'm surprised he's not. Yeah, he was good. Uh, like I said, not a lot of counting stats. Kind of might turn some people off. I think I see, what, 56 tackles in his last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, four picks. All, both good. But, um, you know, Douglas uh, had huge senior season, obviously, with eight picks. And Keith Washington's done some things the last couple of years. I think he had, what, he had five picks last year. Right. And, and three more this year. So, it's it's tough. It was a lot of deciding between guys who had one good year, one and a half good years and and not much else. Other possibilities. The immortal Brantwan Bowser. (laughs) Um, But no, but seriously, Brandon Hogan played in 2010 um, and was a pretty good player who, who got into the NFL. Uh, If we're talking statistics, Pat Miller, there it is. (laughs) Really good. stats. (laughs) <laughs> I knew it was coming. I was waiting for it. Like, I, I I, just remember the stigma that was attached to Pat Miller, right or wrong, fair or unfair. But when you look at what he did through the years, um, he's the guy who's going to end up just in the decade with, I want to say, five interceptions and just, I mean, numbers that you go, well, that's not bad. Um, but people would say, well, actually, <laughs> wasn't yeah. wasn't a great player. But I think he, I think he ends up with like 120 tackles. Um, made some plays behind the line, you know, didn't make a ton of plays. And I think I, I want to say he was a safety before the end of it because the corner thing was such an issue. But a guy who was around the ball because it was probably thrown at him a bunch. But I was surprised by the statistics that he actually had to the years. By no means is he going to get into my top four. But um, I'll also say this, too. That guy took it harder than anybody. Um, I mean, he was a target from fans and maybe even coaches and teammates for a while. And it really wore on him because he was a nice guy who was fun to um, his teammates and stuff to a certain extent, I think it just, but like I remember talking about stuff and it really wore on him and they had a really 
that game that they beat. Oh, uh, who did they beat? I can't remember. It was it. I don't know. Was he? He was on the team against that year. I'm trying to remember. The 2011 season, he had a huge game that they won, and it was really critical for them getting the bowl, get the Orange Bowl. It might have been South Florida, um, and he was excellent. I remember thinking, you know what? That's a great ribbon for him because. They don't win the game with Adam, and I thought he deserved that. Unfortunately, it meant so much to me I can't remember it at the time. But a fifty, yeah, he had a fifty-two-yard interception return for a touchdown in that game. Was, okay, yeah, so South Florida. That was it. So again, so anyways, going through. Uh, Broderick Jenkins was a guy who flashed a little bit but didn't make it. Um, and you're getting down to like guys like Ishmael Banks who played different positions. Um, I'm trying to think who else out there. Ricky Rumpf played a little bit at corner, mostly safety later in his career. Um, Nana Kyram was out there, just not as great when it came to positions. And I think when you look at the issues that they had on defense, especially upon entering the Big 12, just didn't have great cornerback play. And that was the wrong situation to have when you walked into that conference. I think you could probably get away with playing three guys or maybe when your second guy isn't very good in the Big East because those offenses just weren't as scary. You ready to move on to safeties? I'm ready. Okay. Carl, this Carl Joseph. Too. This one was tricky, too. Um, I don't know how you want to do this. We can just go one, two for safeties, but these are hard because the positions. And I kind of get obscured sometimes by bandit, spur, things like that. Like, are these safeties and are they wild cards? What are we doing here? Um, I don't know. It's it's really tricky. But um, there's no question who number one is. Right. Carl um, Joseph, I don't think there's much debate. Let me ask you this. Was there a more surprising draft pick than Carl Joseph this decade? Because I think people think about one other one, and it was like, oh, wow. But considering what had happened to him, and I think some of the obvious concerns about his size, um, where he got drafted blew me away. It was a great story, but I was really surprised. Yeah, I mean, injury history, smaller, um, putting up stats on a, on a, quite frankly, for a while there was a bad defense. Um so uh, there were a couple red flags and, you know, he's battled a couple injuries now in the NFL had up and down years, but I think he's, he coming around, he had, he was having a really good year this year and then got hurt again. So it's basically, I'm not sure there, I'm surprised he went that early, but I'm not sure any kind of read on his draft status was wrong because he is super talented, but kind of a risk. Irvin was another guy that, People were probably surprised that he got picked so high, but I think he kind of validated that with some of his early performances. And you look at his career, um, listen, there are certain niche players you got to get. And at that time, getting the quarterback on the ground in that conference was really important. He was good at that, and he was a part of their, their Super Bowl runs, and that made sense. And I think people kind of like the whole Geno Smith draft thing was strange too, um, and that it was surprising in the other way. Because remember, there was a time people thought he would be the number one pick, and he ended up going in the second round with you know some messy circumstances around that. But um, Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Draft is obviously a crapshoot. But there's one, and then I said one through four for cornerback was closest. One through two is the biggest distance for me here from the top of the chart for any position on offense or defense. And then two, three, and four are just murky for me here. How did you fill out? Let's just go with your first team. So is Carl Joseph reuniting with his old backfield mate from college? Which one? you? I was I I'm with you uh, with the debate. I kind of reluctantly put KJ Dillon on my first team. He's there no? for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and but obscured a little bit because 
he played the the spur spot. And but he played a lot of free and he played a lot of like deep safety too. But I think enough to make me think like, okay, that works. Um uh but almost by need there. You gotta have somebody. And I think when you look at his stats, especially when he played safety, um, in a true sense, he was he was just really good there and a good athlete. Um, probably would have made it further in the NFL if he hadn't gotten hurt too. I mean, that was a guy that probably got undersold a little bit because of some injury history and some health concerns, uh, tested really well and then played pretty well, but just couldn't stay healthy. So you said, who was the other one? Are you talking on the front end of his career or the back end of his career? Well, I'll give you my other two picks for safety. Okay. And I'm not comfortable with this. Um, I put Drayvon back there, Drayvon Askew Henry, just for being a steady player. I don't think that the arc rose as steeply as people thought, and I think that some of that is not his fault because I, w- I will tell you this, that days before he got hurt and blew out his knee, people said, holy crap, you got to see Drayvon. He's making plays that Carl never made. He's making plays that we've never seen. Defensive backs, whether corners or safeties make, this guy is going to be uh, a double-digit TFL guy and a hundred tackle guy. Like they thought he was going to be through the roof that year. He had been playing better than anybody. And then two days later, three days later, you see him hobbling out of the push car center crutches and a nice ice bag. And you think, Oh, and was not himself the following year. And I think maybe never got it back because they moved him closer to the line of scrimmage, but still played at a fairly high level. And then I put Darwin cook. Yeah. God, this is going to be the most boring podcast ever. Really? Oh my yes. God. All right, I, it was it, that wasn't even a question for me either. I actually had Cook. I was debating Cook for first team. I remember Darwin Cook being not as good as the highlight in his career, and probably I mentioned the Tavon was one of my favorite players. Darwin was probably up there too for my favorite players to talk to. Um, just a kind of out there, but smart. Gave you good quotes. Um, but like I just remember like boy, that guy was out of position sometimes and made some goofy plays and whiffed a lot. And um, his body eventually gave out on him against Kansas his senior year. Um, just I don't think he could stop the bleeding on some of those defenses, which is kind of what you want your safety to do. But tell me why he's the right pick. I went with big plays, seven interceptions, five yeah. fumble recoveries. Uh, I think he had uh, – four or five forced fumbles as well. And then not just the big plays, obviously everybody remembers the orange bowl return for a touchdown, but consistently three straight years of 70 plus tackles, 85 as a sophomore, 75 as a junior, 74 as a senior while missing a couple games. So, you know, he's averaging, what is that? Somebody do the math for me on that. It's like seven tackles a game, every single game. Right. And, 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 and forcing a turnover every other game. That's I agree with you that at times he let up the big play, but I felt like he made just as many big plays. I'm glad you said that because what I what I meant to do when I said that I don't remember him having a career as good as the highlight. What I meant was that it, that's not a fair assumption by me and that I think sometimes when something happens like that, that's so early in a career, um, there was someone's up to head and he thought this guy's going to be great. And it wasn't. But those the stats you listed don't lie. I mean, those are those are 12 turnover plays that. You know, that's pretty good for a guy who plays in the back end and isn't around the ball a whole lot under good circumstances. So he's an impact player. And to be honest with you, like I was between him and Dylan, I almost gave it to I almost gave it to Darwin because Dylan's a little bit different with how and where he played. Um, but it works, I think. I think there's certainly no doubt no doubt that he belongs in that four spot, the top four spot. Um, and I had a harder time with Draymond than I had with Darwin, to be honest. 
Agreed. I think, and I, it was kind of alarming to me because for some reason, and maybe it's because of this, this wild card spot that we have here. When I think of safeties for West Virginia, I think that that's been a solid position for this decade. And I guess it has, but that's because mostly it's been, you know, Cook playing for starting for three years, Joseph three years, uh, Henry four years, all guys that were there for a large chunk of time to kind of solidify those spots and be at the very least decent. Um, But then outside of those handful of guys, hasn't been a whole lot. No, I think you're right there. Um, We'll wrap up here. Other guys that warranted mention, um, Ian Smith had a really good senior season. Um, Locked of extra point, I think, against Cincinnati on special teams, I know. But, like, people forget he made, like, 80-something tackles that year, and he'd hardly played before that. Uh, Sidney Glover, that was a bad dude. Like, you did not want to cross him. He was nails, and he played pretty well. And then Robert Sands played one year in 2010, and he wasn't as good as a junior as I think as maybe he was as a, as a sophomore. But I remember watching him his sophomore year and thinking, holy crap, they have, like, a pay-for-price-of-admission guy on defense, which doesn't happen very often. And what occurs to me is that since then, you look at guys like David Long last year at the end of the decade, and then maybe even Darius Stills, and then to the front of the decade, Bruce Irvin. You kind of saw some highlight defensive players, and I think that Sands was the first one of them. But there were a lot of really good defensive players that were just individually fun to watch in this decade. I know we only got about two more minutes on this podcast, so I'll make it quick. But first, Kenny Robinson was in the discussion for me at safety. Uh, yeah. Only I know it's only two years and it it ended poorly, but seven picks, 120 some tackles. Um, you know he's up there statistically and well, was all conference last year, uh, which not a lot of other safeties can say. I think Robert Sands, as you noted, was one of the other ones along with Joseph, uh, and, and I don't think anybody else. So it, it's a tough spot. And then quick on punter Nick O'Toole, no question for me. I know you did a lot of research. Cut it out. It's a tool. Probably so. Probably so. <laughs> Although you can't you can't sleep on Pugnetti, Iron Man that year. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, I'm glad we uh, we saw eye to eye on these things, and we can um, agree to agree by and large, and let's agree to come back and do this again with basketball the next time we chat. But uh, Chris is right. We gotta get off of this one and get on to the next one. So, um, unfortunately, that is all the time we have. To look back on offense and defense this decade, but we will be back to talk about the all-decade basketball team. Until then, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll see you next time.